Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 129 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 129, Scott and I are going to be talking about a very difficult topic, uh, the brutal and unrelenting realities of geography. So Bible quizzing, like other sports, uh, hosts teams from across some amount of geography. And sometimes that geography is a region or a district. And so it's not terribly awful to be able to come together for quiz meets. But sometimes we host quiz meets that are international, uh, such as the upcoming International Open Championships in July. And if you want to learn anything more about IOC, you can go to cbqz.org. And there's a little bit of information there. Uh, or you can just email us and we'll tell you more things about it. We're, we're going to be trying to publish more and more information on the website uh, over the next couple of days and weeks as we progress through January into February. But um, so, yeah, there are definitely some brutal and unrelenting issues with regard to geography and ensuring that we can maximize missional outcomes, getting the most people encouraged to memorize the most scripture, and yet balance that against costs and how to make a program thrive. But before we get into that, let's talk about a couple of uh, quick announcements here. So we had the district meet number three, if I'm doing my math in my head correctly, at EBC just this last weekend, which was fantastic, uh, very exciting. I wanna thank everybody who participated. We had a number of guests show up to observe the meet. Uh, we even had one guest who showed up and participated, <laughs> volunteered uh, as a scorekeeper. So that was uh, fantastic uh, for everybody involved. And uh, I want to thank everybody who was participating and volunteering at EBC because I got a number of positive feedback emails after the meet. Uh, and in fact, it looks like a new program, at least one new program, is going to be spawned and started in the next couple of weeks because of the positive uh, image, the positive experience, I guess, that that one visitor had when visiting the meet. So that's awesome. So we have another quiz meet coming up very quickly. Lighthouse is in just a little bit under two weeks. It, it seems really tight. Um, and that's because it is, it's three weeks after the previous one. So Lighthouse in two weeks is our next meet. And so be studying and being prepared for the Lighthouse Meet. This is Lighthouse, the second Lighthouse Meet uh, this season. And I want to encourage folks as they're memorizing, uh, I don't know if anybody's been, well, I know some people have been looking at the individual stats and so forth, but if you, have been, if you haven't been glancing at the individual stats, let me let you know, there is still a fairly decent amount of Great West participational opportunity in the stats that we're seeing. In other words, based on the way that we weight meets, meets aren't just all, the, the average that you get at a meet is not the same as you get for meet for meet for meet. So like if you get like a 40 at one meet and a 40 at a later meet, that later meet has a higher weighting than the previous uh, meet. So if you get like a 40 and then you get a 60, that 60 is worth more, a lot more, coming from the second meet than the 40 from the first meet. And this just progressively happens across the entire season. So given that scenario or given that fact, and given the fact that Great West uh, is coming up, uh, what is it, just a couple meets away, it's in April or March, April? I don't even remember the schedule anymore. 
Uh, no, it's in, I just looked, it's in April, middle of April, April 13th through the 16th. So there's a lot of opportunity still for folks to be able to participate in Great West. So if you've been maybe a little bit disillusioned with your average and you're thinking, well, uh, there's not much point for me studying. I'm probably not going to be able to make Great West. I encourage you to take a look at the stats you may and and do some math on it i i think you will be surprised to learn that there is a pretty good chance that if you were to memorize some additional verses over the next couple of weeks i think you can put yourself in a good position to be able to qualify for great west so i just want to encourage everybody to consider that stuff before we move on all right so let's jump into the brutal and unrelenting realities of geography and scott this comes from a bit of basketball uh, relatedness. Do you want to kind of dive in and get, and set the stage for what we're talking about? Definitely. So the college that I attended was an NCAA Division Three college. There are many kind of groups of athletic competition at the collegiate level. There's the NCAA Division One, Two, and Three. There's the NAIA. I believe there's NAIA Division One and Two, and there probably are other groups as well. We are most familiar with NCAA Division One, which has, you know, University of Washington, Michigan, Alabama. Uh, I don't know who who from the Northeast, uh, but Division Three has a lot of smaller colleges, and there's about 430 that participate in athletics, and they are spread all over the United States, but they are generally located in kind of the Midwest and the Northeast area which as it turns out is kind of where a majority of the CMA quizzing districts are located as well. But in Division Three basketball, if you are a, a school with a basketball team in Washington State, Oregon, California, or Texas, there's not very many of you. And so as a result, there are realities of that geography that make, make it harder on you to be competitive. One is scheduling. It is more expensive for teams to come play you and it is more expensive for you to go play other teams because it often requires a plane flight. And there are benefits to being able to play other strong teams for lower cost. And if you are a team in Massachusetts or in Michigan or in even Missouri, there are just way more teams within driving distance, which makes it easier for you to schedule more games against strong opponents. And then when it comes to the end of the year tournament, there's an NCAA tournament, much like the Division I March Madness. You can kind of think of it as an internationals of sorts, right? And the teams from out west in Division Three have a lot more obstacles to competing because there's not the money to fly teams everywhere to make all of the matchups 100% equal. And so oftentimes two really strong teams from those faraway states have to play each other when originally they would have gotten to play a weaker team first and then maybe played each other later. And it's just there's not money to fly everyone everywhere. And it made me think of quizzing, right? There's the internationals level where Western Canada and Pacific Northwest, maybe Southeastern, I'm probably forgetting some districts, but those at least those three often are flying to wherever internationals is held. And then there are some districts, maybe Western Pay is a good example, that are almost never flying. And I bet you whenever we have internationals in kind of that Ohio, 
Pennsylvania area, it results in the least amount of cost in total to all the districts for travel and logistics. But it does mean that some districts always have to pay the most. And looking smaller, looking at just Pacific Northwest, for a while, most of the participating teams were from Washington State with only a couple from Oregon State. Well, again, when I was running it, if I said, hey, I want to minimize the total amount of drive time, well, then I always hold it in kind of South Seattle area, which means it's optimal in the sense that there's less driving in total for all the churches. But it also means that I am signing up the Oregon church to drive the furthest every single meet. And I wanted to pose the question to you, Griffin, would you term holding internationals in Ohio or Pennsylvania or holding PNW meets in South Seattle to be unfair or inequitable? That's question one. And then question two would be, if you are the administrator of a program, either a meet like internationals or a district like Pacific Northwest, where there are disparate geographies, I think CMD would qualify as well, what do you think are the best decisions for the administrators of a program to make for the overall health and thriving of the program that they um, are charged with running? Yeah. Well, so let's, I mean, question number one is easy. Is it fair? Uh, no, of course it's not fair. It's, I mean, it's definitionally not fair. Uh, you're, if you, let's say if you're talking about quizzing and you always have internationals in Ohio or, or you generally have it say in the Michigan, Ohio, Western Pennsylvania kind of geography, somewhere in that general vicinity, right? Uh, and you're always you're you're moving it around, but it's always kind of in that that area. That is definitionally unfair because absolutely you will always have certain districts that will pay not just a little bit more, but like four five times as much. Because um, I mean, think about this: you're, you're well, maybe not five times, uh, well, well more than double, right? Uh, depending upon uh, lead time and a few other things. But let's say uh, let's say the meat costs. $300 per quizzer. I mean, plus or minus some amount. I, I forget what it was this last time. Maybe it was a 350. I, I don't remember, but let's, let's just say it was, you know, IBQ registration. And that include. I mean, that includes, you know, the fees to pay for the uh, buildings, uh, wherever it happens to be for the actual uh, quizzing itself, housing and food. So this is an, I mean, I'm not begrudging the $300 because like $300 for that over the course of, of multiple days is actually pretty cheap. Right. So, but let's just, let's say it's $300, which I think is actually an amazingly good deal, but let, let's just say it's $300, but then let's say flying there and back round trip is $600. So, you know, you're somebody who can drive a few hours and get to the meet, uh, you know, in a van and can pool their money for gas, their travel expenses are a fraction of the cost of the meat uh, cost, right? But for P&W or West Can or Southeastern, having to fly, especially from P&W, we, we have the uh, the furthest to go. If West Can may actually be worse because while they may have less miles to travel, like probably going out of Calgary or something, they have less miles to travel. They do have the, the border crossing. So that may add something in terms of complexity and costs and so forth. But I think PNW has geographically the furthest miles to fly, but uh, in assuming that the furthest miles equals the furthest, furthest or the most amount of gasoline, uh, well, jet a fuel 
uh, burned by the jet and therefore the most amount of money for your ticket because that's the the largest expense uh, for the airlines is, is the fuel. So, you know, then $600, and, and, I, th- and I think that's actually probably cheap. It's probably closer to $700 per, uh, per uh, person who wants to fly. But let's say it's $600. Th- uh, so two-thirds of the base level budget to get there is in aviation fuel already, right? And then once you're there, if you drive to the meet, you have a vehicle at the meet. If you don't drive to the meet, you have to rent a vehicle, right? So a great example of this is like this last IBQ at Crown, a reasonable facility, um, actually a fairly beautiful campus. Um, It's out in the middle of nowhere, but that actually kind of adds to its charm. You have to fly into, I don't even remember anymore, was it MSP, I think, you fly into, and then you have mm-hmm. to rent a vehicle. And if you're, you know, if, it, if it's like me and a, 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 a Cuddy and I, a, or, or another official or something, you know, we can take an Uber or something, so it's not, a, we don't have to rent a vehicle. But if you're coming as a PNW team, you have to rent a vehicle, a large van. This is not cheap, right? Uh, to be able to drive out to the event and to have a vehicle that you can do things from. Because we have a day, I think it was Thursday uh, at the meet. I forget exactly what day it was, but there was a day where it was kind of a fun day, an, an off day. And so you need to be able to transport your team around to do fun things. So you need a vehicle. Well, Renting a vehicle is insanely expensive now. Like in some cases, it's more expensive than actually the uh, tickets to actually get out there. So like uh, the year before, I, I, uh, it was uh, myself, my son, and an official from um, PNW. We flew out to Ohio for IBQ, and I rented a car. And the car, the cost to rent the car, all said and done so that we could actually get around was more than all three of our plane tickets combined. So, I mean, it was, it was crazy expensive. So like you put all these things together and it's like, there is a massive, massive difference in, in cost. And so like, you know, talking about costs in terms of IBQ, when we talk about costs to participate in IBQ, we're not really necessarily talking about the cost of IBQ itself. And in fact, like arguably P&W would be completely happy if IBQ actually increased its cost by a certain amount, right? So, I mean, obviously we don't want to do this terribly, but if if it if there's a difference between good food, not great food, but good food and, and for a meat at $300 a person versus spectacular food at 350 or even $400, you know, per person, the difference between $300 and $400 per person for P&W in total cost-wise is a very small increase, right? But for somebody who's commuting in from, say, Ohio or, you know, Western Pennsylvania or Western Great Lakes or or even ECD, ECD has a long drive, but, but even for somebody from ECD, the difference of going from $300 to $400 is from a total percentage point is significantly higher than for P&W, right? And so in terms of like cost-cutting measures, there's a desire, and I think a good intention desire to try to keep IBQ meat costs low to increase participation. And that's a great thing. And that's a wonderful thing, right? Because we want to try to keep the costs low for everybody. That's going to disproportionately 
uh, help those people who can drive to the meet, <laughs> right? Uh, so, and so from P&W's perspective, I don't think people realize like just how crazy expensive it is to fly in from from PNW to a meet. So yeah, definitionally it's unfair, but then now let's flip this around and say to your second question as a as a meet director uh or as a meet leader or a program leader or or international leadership, how do you do th- what's the what's the best way to handle things? Either doing a meet internationally or if you're going to be doing a district meet in a very large district, how do you move that meet around in such a way that it is optimal for a missional outcome. And that's where things get kind of tricky really, really quickly, because I think doing things unfairly might actually lead to more missional outcome. And, and it, it annoys me to say this, but that's, it might actually be true, right? So for example, let's, let's stick with the international framework. I mean, this works exactly the same way for meets within PNW, but, and in fact does, uh, for meets in PNW, but, but I think most people have experience on the international scale and they can, you can look up the map of the districts on the, the website and so forth, the CMA, uh, Bible quizzing website. Uh, and you can see where everybody's commuting in from. So let's say you decide that you're going to have every single meet in Toledo, Ohio, right? Let's just, let's just put a marker there and say, that's where every single IBQ is going to be, right? Um, that probably means that on the whole, all of the expenses required for all teams to attend, it's probably the cheapest, right? Now this is deeply unfair to P&W, but might actually be better for the program as a whole to do it that way, right? Because if you're if you're hosting out of Toledo, sure PNW has to spend train loads of money to be able to get there, but most other districts don't, right? And therefore more people from those districts can participate, or at least they can leverage that money that they would have spent on airplane tickets and rent car rentals, they can spend that money on other things like, you know, jump equipment or uh, advertising or whatever else, defraying costs locally within their district. That actually might be net net better for a missional outcome, right? So like in PNW, we have a very interesting situation where the vast majority of our teams are clustered and have always been clustered for decades, decades and decades. The vast majority of our teams have been clustered around the Puget Sound, the greater Puget Sound, right? Uh, Now, we've always had teams that have been from far away from the Puget Sound as well. So we've had, we had a team from Moses Lake. We have a team now from Madras, Oregon. We had a team from Salem. I'm trying to think of the one, Bellingham. We've had teams from, well, I guess Bellingham's still Uh, Puget Sound, but we've had teams that have to commute a fairly substantial distance to be able to get to a meet. And right now we have a team from Madras that has, that I think historically has the highest commute distance and time of, of any team in PNW's history. Now, fortunately for PNW, the leadership of the Madras team, our road warriors are totally comfortable being road warriors and do not begrudge the expense or time and actually consider the road trip fun. Like the quizzers find it enjoyable. The coach finds it enjoyable. 
and like doesn't at all begrudge commuting halfway around the planet to be able to go to a quiz meet. Now, I don't want to take advantage of, of that situation, right? But that has opened up the inequity. It, it has opened the possibility of me being inequitable in terms of where meets are located such that it actually may actually be better for promoting quizzing on the whole, right? So for example, uh, in the in a in a quiz season in PNW, Madras, this team from from way far away, tends to host one meet per season, and the rest of the meets tend to be hosted within the Puget Sound area. Various different churches within the Puget Sound, right? That they, they tend to host, and Madras commutes to the every single meet, uh, you know, through the season, uh, except of course their own where they're local, and then the 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 other churches com, uh, commute to Madras one meet per season, right? Now that is deeply unfair, uh, right, to Madras, but it is the way it is, and Madras doesn't mind at all. But interestingly enough, we actually have we have non-zero instances of churches in the PNW declining to commute to the Madras meet because it's too far for them. Right. Um, and I mean, yeah, I, I, I get where they're coming from. I, I, it's more expense and it's more time commitment. I totally get it. But I mean, Madras is doing this every, I mean, other than their own meat, they're doing it every single meat and they're doing it with joy and not complaining. Um, and I, and I, I super appreciate it, but maybe it, it, it is while it's reasonable for them to have non-zero complaints <laughs> about, about how the inequity if we were to say something like, well, we're going to have half of the meets in Madras, or we're going to say, well, we're going to pick a central location, have all of our meets in Portland or something like that. That increases the, the overall costs for everyone. And maybe we lose out on missional growth as a result. So what's the right call? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think it depends on... The situation that you're you're in, right? In P and W, Madras is totally willing to commute, and it doesn't mind the expense. And I want to be super respectful of that, and I don't want to take advantage of that beyond a certain measure. But I definitely want to take advantage of that beyond zero because I think there's a promissional outcome as a result of it. I have two comments and one question. My first comment is. And we're not saying that, say, you, Griffin, making the decision to have the majority of the meets be where it costs Madras more money and time um, and knowing that it's unfair is because you dislike Madras. It's just geographically how things like are and decisions have to be made. Right. And they're made working to optimize other things. Right. And not to disadvantage Madras. Well, sort of. So, I mean, the first part is absolutely true. I definitely am not making hosting location decisions based on the fact that I don't like Madras. <laughs> like, at all. <laughs> That's definitely not true. In fact, my daughter quizzes with the Madras team. Uh, so, no. Like, like we, we love Madras for many reasons, uh, not just this one. Um, but but the you were talking about like the the hosting decisions, you know, are being made for trying to optimize. Well, 
it would be nice if that were true, but the reality is the hosting decisions are made based on who's willing to host. So, I mean, at the beginning of a season or, or even prior to the season, basically at the end of the previous season, I talk to the churches and say, hey, who's willing to host? Who's willing to host when? Let's put a calendar together. It's a, it's a, we, we talk about it collaboratively in a leadership meeting and we try to figure these, these things out as a group. So this is not like, you know, Griffin is district coordinator imposing, like here is when and where these things are going to happen. It's a collaboration. And so, you know, anybody in that meeting, any leadership in that meeting is very, very much encouraged to voice concerns or offer alternate suggestions or different ways of doing things. And I think that's probably the healthiest way to do that. Um, that does not happen at the international level. It's not like the international, it's not like this ULT calls in the district coordinators for a big Zoom and have us collaborate on what makes the most sense for everybody. Um, that one is much more of a sort of, it's just decided and then you decide as a district if you want to play ball or not uh, with whatever's decided. So, you know, in PNW, beggars can't be choosers, right? So like, we, we're not really paying our hosts to host. I mean, they do get a, they actually, they get a discount on their, on their dues or their fees or whatever um, kind of thing. And they get reimbursed to some degree for food and, oh, well, no, I forget exactly what it, what the, there, there's a certain amount of reimbursement that the churches get, but it's, um, it's really, you know, you're hosting not for the economic value of it. You're hosting because you're trying to support quizzing. And so I very much, very, very, very much appreciate uh, hosts and I will bend over backwards, uh, every day and twice on Sunday for hosts, uh, for whatever they need, uh, because they're doing the program, a huge service, uh, when they're, when they're hosting, but anyway, that's, that's kind of where there, there's less of a decision <laughs> uh, of where to host than you might think. Sure. My second comment was, I wouldn't, th I wouldn't say that Madras being happy to drive and not complaining necessarily means that that should be the expected standard of reasonableness. You are so right. Yeah, you are absolutely right. The The trouble then is what do we do different that will not be anti-missional, right? Like host two meets in Madras. I mean, Madras would absolutely do that and they would love it. They, they love to host. Um, I think I would have torches and pitchforks at my front door if if we ended up doing that um you know maybe we have a couple of meets at a at a different location like like i said portland but then it, that increased the cost for everybody uh so and it's just right. kind of like what do you what do you do it's um and i mean the goal is we are in the process of actively recruiting and building programs in a few different locations in our southern region. So uh, we're looking at a, a growing a team or planting a team in Medford, uh, reconstituting a team in Corvallis, planting a team in Alban Albany, uh, Redmond, uh, Oregon, I think uh, we're, there's some discussions around potentially getting a team started up there. So we may be in a in a place in the not too distant future where we have a regional meet, like, like we, we have a, a regional meet in Washington and a regional meet in Oregon. And then we come together for district meets a little bit less frequently or something like that. That's not ideal because it just means, you know, if you're in one region and you have friends in another region, you see them less frequently. And so that's not great. Um, but 
from a cost and sustainability and growth perspective, that may be the right path forward. My question is, I remember this might not be feasible because as you've said, with some meets in the Madras, some of the churches will choose to just not go, not participate. But I remember being a junior or senior in college, renting a house, and not all of the bedrooms are the same size. So we needed to figure out how to allocate them. And we basically changed the percentage of the rent that you were paying until someone was willing to choose one of the one of the rooms. I love this scenario. So you're you're basically talking about turning turning it into an open market, like a, you're marketizing, you know, the cost structure or the the, the incentive structure. And I, I love this idea. Um, one idea that I had for, and actually, it's not had, it's have. We are we are still considering this for IOC. Is um, we we have a fairly sizable grant that we can dive into to um, to offset costs for IOC. And I want to, I mean, it's a, it's a big grant, and but I don't want to just burn the money. I want to use it as intelligently as and optimally as possible for missional outcome. And recognizing that we've got some districts on the East Coast who are very excited about IOC, very much want to participate, but they're like, yeah, we were super excited. And then we started looking up plane ticket prices and we said, had an UFTA moment. We still are very excited and want to attend, but, but the pricing UFTA. And so we're sitting there going like, okay, well, we want to help those teams be able to participate so we can help subsidize their traveling cost to a degree, but we don't have infinite money to be able to do that for everybody to hundred percent. So what's the best way to allocate that money, right? So a team that's commuting from say, you know, one part of the Pacific Northwest to another part of Pacific Northwest for IOC, like maybe they shouldn't get any money for travel costs, but a team that's commuting from say Eastern Canada to P&W for IOC, yeah, they should get a lot of money. Like, like, and it's still like, that's number one, that's deeply unfair. Number two, we still don't, we don't have enough money to actually bring it into parity, right? So we don't have enough money that we could actually pay down ECD's cost to actually bring their cost into parity with P&W. I think we can pay down some of their costs to make it less burdensome for them, but like, it's still going to be a financial burden to some degree and figuring out the mathematics of like, well, where do you set that dial to get the optimal missional outcome is um, it's a non-trivial mathematical exercise. Definitely. I think it is, it's, it's a fun, maybe not fun, but it's an interesting topic to talk, to talk through. Right. Cause I think it can be easy for a, a disparate geographical church or program to feel like the deck is just stacked against them. And it might be, but not for sinister reasons. Yeah, exactly. And I think the way you can, one way to, to counteract frustration that can come around as a result of some of this stuff is just to have open dialogue. So in P and W it, I've never heard anybody actually complain about it because every year at the usually at district championships sometimes before but we'll we'll have a leadership meeting where 
every coach is there, every church is represented, and we talk about like, well, what do we want to do next season? What are the things we want to keep the same? What do we what what are what are things we want to change? How who wants to host at what schedule and and does this work for everybody? And so anybody has the opportunity therein and they're out as well in, in other circumstances as well to voice concerns, have transparency into not a decision, but a conversation that leads toward an outcome. And so in PNW, we fortunately don't really have to wrestle with this too much. Be- I mean, we have to wrestle with what what are ways to optimize, but nobody feels slighted because we're constantly having this transparent, open communication uh, that that everybody is a- has a seat at the table and can engage in as equals. And we try to like we're always looking out for everybody's best interest, right? So you know, M- Madras leadership is looking out for Puyallup leadership, and Puyallup leadership is looking out for Madras leadership. Uh, and we're trying to work collaboratively as we should for maximizing outcome. Right. I think we've completed this topic. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think, I think really the only solution here is that every district that has quizzing needs to have a, an airplane big enough to carry a sizable portion of their district to quiz meets that are on the other side of the continent. And we need to start up an aviation school to train pilots to be able to fly these airplanes. And I, yeah, I definitely think this is the this is the solution for the future. I agree. It's an improvement upon the old days when one church in the Pacific Northwest would travel to every meet on a well. No, it wasn't. It was to Great West. Everyone would travel on a single bus. And it was a great time. It was a great time, um, except when we ran out of fuel. That was not a great time. But other than that, it was a great time. Yeah, being able to pack everybody onto a bus is is enjoyable when you can make that work. Absolutely. Road trips can be a lot of fun. Um, the, great, the Great West Road Trip, while we do not have a single bus, we do have... Uh, sev- we have a caravan of vans, or, well, multi-passenger vehicles. And uh, it's enormous fun because, you know, you can have... Uh, Cuddy does a great job of organizing these things. So we'll have, like, the quiet van, or the study van, or the silly songs van, or or the, I don't know, trivia van, or the theology van, or, you know, and it kind of rotates around and stuff. So, you know, each uh, each stop, people are, are kind of trading their seats to be like, well, I want to be on the study van for this leg, or I want to be on the, the song van for this leg, or whatever it happens to be. And it works out pretty well. Definitely. I remember a van ride where the roof of the van started link- leaking, but our program leaders had a baby, and so we got an unused diaper and taped it to the ceiling and <laughs> leak solved. <laughs> oh, so, so underneath or on, on top, like inter- oh, it was in, interior or inside. exterior in. Okay. Okay. In, interior. Yeah. So it's it, just it, as, as we were moving, taped up a diaper. Good to go. <laughs> that is, that is epic. Um, that is, that is awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, any other brilliant ideas we want to put on the podcast? A little bit short for today, but that's not to, not not an awful thing. I really can't think of anything. As we discussed before we started recording, there's not a whole lot of stuff to talk about with regard. There's not giant sweeping changes in the A2 rulebook. We've already talked about age three. You know, there's we're in a, maybe a little bit of the lull of the year right after 
the holidays, but before we get to the district champs, Great West kind of time period. Right. Indeed. Indeed. Well, and then there, there is a, I don't want to say that there's nothing happening on the A3 front. There's actually stuff that happens. I mean, I was going to say day by day, but it's even hour by hour. Some days, um, there's just a lot going on. The level of excitement and interest is amazing. So, I mean, I was just, uh, uh, talking with a couple of folks from Nazarene, uh, just earlier today, uh, one of wh- whom is um, re- is I think he's basically like a district coordinator for the Pacific Northwest, and he was saying, "Hey, I've, I've, we've got a meet coming up in a couple of weeks. I totally want to promote IOC. Do you have any brochures or marketing materials or anything else that that can help us?" So I mean, we have we have an an ever growing army of people who are inc- every day increasingly excited about what's happening with this third age movement with IOC. And it's just fantastic to see, uh, you know, folks that we were thinking logistically would never consider IOC this year are like, not only are we considering it, we're invested, we're coming. We, we, you know, we just need to figure out a way to do it. So like, we've got folks like, like ECD has said, they're going to send a team. Uh, uh, we've, uh, Northeastern has said they're going to send a team, uh, Eastern PA is, is going to try to send a team like the level of excitement, uh, brewing around this thing is, is pretty cool. And it's, um, <laughs> there's a lot going on. Unfortunately, there's just not a lot to say right now. Oh, I will say one thing we are. We, so there is a leadership team, um, that is helping me put together IOC and they are awesome. And I've talked about this before a little bit, I think in previous pods, but, um, or episodes and these guys are totally awesome and I love every one of them, but none of us are particularly gifted web designers, uh, graphic designers, web designers, right? Um, myself included, I'm, I'm a web technologist. I can implement anything, but I, I lack the artistic vision to be a web designer of anything other than mediocrity. And so if you are somebody who has a web design or just even just general graphic design uh, background or bent or interest, and you would like to help out by designing a much better website than what we have right now, you don't have to implement anything. Like you don't have to code anything. If you can pull up a, you know, Photoshop or some graphic editor and just mock something up, uh, put a color palette together or something like that, that's honestly, that's what I need. I can implement whatever you design, but I lack, I am, I am not an artist in that regard. So we very much would love a uh, web designer to say, hi, I'm willing to help. Uh, so if you are one of those people, could you email us um, the, you can email us at IQ at cbqz.org. And of course, on this great bombshell, you can also email the show. Uh, Scott and I are uh, both see the emails to IQ at cbqz.org. So if you have any feedback, questions, comments, concerns, negative doubts, fears, paranoia, we'd love to hear from you. And you can also follow us on Twitter. Our account is at Inside Quizzing. And you can also chat with us in almost kind of sort of near real time on the Inside Quizzing Slack channel. And with that, I will say thank you all for listening. And thank you, Scott. Thank you to Griffin for co-hosting. And thank you to all of our listeners. 